You are now entering the transit zone. My name is Sophie Scomps and I'm honoured and excited to be standing here today as your independent candidate for McKellar. (laughs) Honoured because like you, I absolutely love this community and love this place we live in. And excited because we have an incredible opportunity ahead of us. The opportunity to make a real difference to our community, our country and the future of our children. As you've heard, I've played a role in looking after this community for close on 20 years as an emergency doctor and as a local GP. But what McKellar needs now more than ever is strong, authentic and visionary leadership to take on the challenges that face us. However, as one of the safest seats in the country, the voice of McKellar has been missing from the national debate because we have been ignored and we have been taken for granted. Welcome back to The Transit Zone. I'm Peter Clark in Melbourne, Australia. Margot Kingston in Comboy, New South Wales. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we record and produce these podcasts, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Beerpai people of the Port Macquarie region of New South Wales. We pay respect to their elders. Here in the Transit Zone, we've documented and examined in some detail the rise and evolution of the Voices for Independence movement across Australia. We've spoken to founders of specific electorates movements and independent candidates, including Pathfinder Cathy McGowan in Indi and the independent who defenestrated former Prime Minister Tony Abbott from his long-held seat Warringa in Sydney, Zali Stegall. And we also spoke with Mary Crooks, the pioneer of the kitchen table community building methodology that was eventually fundamental to McGowan's success in Indi and has been adopted by the independence movements. And now the 2022 federal election campaign is approaching its halfway point. The independence movement's significance is stark, with mainstream media increasing its focus on and coverage of it by the day. The prospect of a hung parliament and the potential for an independence crossbench to hold the balance of power is a constant topic for speculation. So this time in the zone, a more behind-the-scenes look at creating an independence movement and via community building an actual election campaign. The nuts and bolts of doing that. At the top of this podcast, you heard the voice of Dr. Sophie Scomps, now the independent candidate for McKellar, the adjacent Northern Beaches electorate to Steggles. We spoke with Sophie here in the zone last year, before she was a candidate. Our guest this time is Louise Hislop. She was right in the centre of the campaign for the Warringah win and is now an advisor to the Scomps campaign. Louise Hislop, welcome to the Transit Zone. Thank you, Peter. And hello, Margot. Very lovely to be here. When we interviewed Sophie Scomps way back before she was even a candidate for the seat of McKellar, one of the things she did for us was describe that electorate. Now, I know it a little bit, having lived in Sydney. It's a beautiful electorate physically. We've got the beaches, of course, adjacent to Warringah. They're two very similar electorates in some ways, but not in others. 
Take us back into your electorate again. Describe it for us. So Mackellar is a really beautiful place in the world. It's also very, very different. It has very different little microcosms in it. We basically go from DY in the south all the way to Palm Beach in the north. And then up west is the forest area, which is very bushy. We border on the, we have Karingai National Park as part of Mackellar. So really we've got everything, the bush, the beach. It's a really happy kind of community here. So I think a lot of us feel very, very lucky and very privileged to live here and uh, very big sense of community here as well. But I can't say that's for everyone. There are different microcosms. So there's some very, very, very wealthy people and then there's a lot of people that are actually doing it very tough in other areas. So it's not like it's all these rich people. It is It is quite diverse. I know from direct experience that there is quite an artistic filmmakers, writers, yeah, etc. A lot of them living, looking out over the ocean. But you've got other people who are really, as you say, doing it tough. What about the multicultural mix there in McKellar as well? Yeah, well, actually, DY is an extremely diverse community. It has the highest population of Tibetans in, or maybe the second highest population of Tibetans in the world, I believe, apart from Tibet. So many different cultures in in DY and surrounding suburbs. Um, it's really interesting. I was I was handing out at the council elections for myself actually, <laughs> in DY, and pre pulse I spent two weeks meeting the people of DY and um, really lovely, happy community there. Very very different to the to the north side of Pittwater. Really, the smiles on their faces said it all. I think every, again, everyone just feels lucky to live in such a beautiful part of the world. Louise. I got the strong impression talking to Sophie that it's a much tougher seat than some of the other Teal Independent seats, that it isn't quite as progressive. I noticed Jason Flensky won on primaries 53%, 63% two-party preferred, although a pop-up candidate who no fibs back last time, Alice Thompson, did get 12%. It's not top of the radar at the moment. What's your impression of, of how differently it has to be approached than the the ultra-progressive Independence Day seats. Mm. Well, it's interesting you say that because, honestly, before I started working in Warringah, everyone would have said exactly the same thing about Warringah and now everyone knows it is a really progressive seat. Everyone used to always say to me how conservative the people in Warringah were and I used to say, you don't know them, like we're not like that. So that was actually part of my incentive to get going. But to answer your question, we have done a little bit of research and it is definitely more economically conservative than Bringer and socially, you know, slightly less progressive. But I think things have changed quite, quite rapidly. And often it's about having those conversations, which we've had over the last two years, that actually makes people wake up to what it is their community believes in. I think people live here, think everyone's conservative, so aren't necessarily vocal about it. But once you start a movement... It actually opens up people to feel comfortable talking with others about more progressive issues. Starting a movement. I'm delighted that you're doing the podcast. I was blown away by the seven-part series you did <laughs> for No Fibs on how you went from a just a regular businesswoman um, doing some community work to uh, bloody hell, you know, co-managing Zali Steggall's campaign. So your first big activism was in 2011 when Abbott rolled Turnbull over the ETS and you got a group of friends around your kitchen table to start writing letters to Abbott and the papers. How, eight years later, did you end up 
founding Voices for Warringah and co-managing Zali Stegel's winning campaign in Warringah. What were the milestones in that incredible journey? Well, no one's more surprised than me that all of this happened. And I can't quite tell you what drove me apart from just this sense that I needed to do everything I could that was in my power to try and get action on climate change because I have three kids and I didn't want to leave the world in a worse worse place than I had inherited So, yeah, so the key moments were that letter writing event. I had just been introduced to a friend of a friend who wanted to do something in the climate change space and we decided to hold a letter writing event at my house and I'd never done anything. I used to get nervous speaking in little community. We had a local issue about the netball courts and my friend used to hold the meetings at her place and I would never speak at those meetings. If I ever did, my heart would be beating, you know, like... (laughs) So having that meeting at my place is a really big thing and at the end of it, but I am quite good. I'm a real introvert, so like I'm quite a good writer and so I enjoy it. That was sort of appealing to me to a letter writing event. And then at the end of the meeting, Dave, my friend said, well, we we probably need some volunteers to go and meet with Tony Abbott. And I don't know what got into me, but I must have been riled up by the great vibe around the table and and I put my hand up. And as soon as I did, I thought, oh, God, what am I doing? Because I sort of thought more people would put their hand up, but they didn't. (laughs) That was probably a really major milestone, just putting my hand up at that point. We wrote to Tony Abbott. Well, I wrote to Tony Abbott and asked for a meeting. And there were many, many emails going to and fro. He wanted to know exactly what questions I wanted to ask. So I'd think of the questions because at first I'd say look I just want to have a a conversation about climate change with you like you're my local member you know he needed all the questions so I wrote them all out they didn't get back for ages I'd followed it up oh no we need more detail this it basically went to and fro for 18 months and I had actually crossed it off my list because by then the carbon tax had actually been introduced so I thought oh well that whole issue's done now (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, then I got back from my holiday and it was in the days when you had the answering phone, answering machine, and I played the messages and there was a message from his staffer saying, Tony, would like to meet you now. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I got myself into? So I went along to meet Tony with another person who was I'd never met before, but she was lovely. But I did all the talking and being the introvert I am, I had spent a couple of days preparing my information and working out what his questions and responses would be so that I would then know what to say back. And I think I actually did really well in the interview to the point where he would just, he just put up his hands like this uh, crossed in front of his chest and said, Louise, Louise, we obviously just have very different ways of looking at the world. And I'd met him literally 20 minutes before, half an hour before. And I just said to him, how do you know anything about me? I grew up in a Catholic family. I run a small business. I went to the same school that your sister and your daughters go to. You know, I've been married to the same guy pretty much all my life and um, we have three kids and we employ five apprentices, like five local apprentices, tradies and apprentices. How do you know how I think? And I'm exactly the sort of person you should be representing And he just wouldn't have a bar of that. And so I walked out very, very disgruntled and 
as I said in the in the little piece of writing I did for you, like there was literally a bee in my bonnet. It was buzzing and I just could not rest. Louise, from there you ended up co-founding a group called Australian Progressives and giving a speech where you said we, we have to get the whole community together, not talk amongst ourselves. And then you ended up co-managing a breakthrough independence campaign by the Australian Idol guy, James Matheson. Matheson. Um, what happened after that? What happened after that was I learnt the lesson that you can't really just find a candidate and throw it on top of the community. Mm. And even though he was a celebrity and he got a lot of a lot of media, a real lot of media, you can't just throw them on top of the community and expect them to vote for the person. So it was a really good lesson. I also learnt a lot of campaigning skills at that time. I had had I had had my toe in the water for a few like council elections and a few other things, but I learnt a hell of a lot because it was just James and I really working out how to do this, looking up the AEC website, like working out what to do. It's actually it's actually pretty simple, really, but yeah, it was good because I had the experience. So after that, I got together with Kathy Ridge, who had run as an independent at the state level when Mike Baird retired and there was a by-election. During that time, she got together a couple of the people from Voices of Voices for Indi and got them up to speak because she was very interested in that kitchen table conversation model as well. So after that election, we thought, okay, well, we need to do something federally. What are we going to do? And we looked at a whole lot of different models and ideas and we settled on the kitchen table conversation model. And it took us quite a long time to set up. It's quite a big process to set up a not-for-profit and lots of paperwork and discussions and you've got to form a committee. And like honestly, that process took a very, very long time. But then once it was set up, we started the kitchen table conversations because by this time, Tony was the Prime Minister. We did the kitchen table conversations and honestly, the optimism that those conversations created was was really, it was just such a positive thing for me because people had never been asked what issues are important to you, how do you want to be represented, all the same six questions that Indi had asked, we asked at ours. And, I mean, I always remember a young woman who was about 18 at the time saying to me after the kitchen table conversation, you know, I've never considered that Tony Abbott's job is to represent me. Mm. And he'd been our local rep her entire life and she'd never had the thought before so people really got involved and started getting involved in the movement and growing the movement and we had some really fantastic events with Jane Caro and Tim Dunlop who does this podcast sometimes and through those events we just continued to grow the community. I get the strong feeling that Karen Phelps win at the by-election with a 18 plus percent swing turbocharge what was a, a growing community movement and then when Zali won it was as though people started to believe and so your very long process turbocharged in McKellar and North Sydney and Goldstein and Kuyong. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah, because it gave people the, the belief that this can be done. I can't tell you when I was working in Warringah, starting up Voices of Warringah and then meeting the people that were involved in all the other grassroots movements that just happened to spring up at the time, I can't tell you how many people said to me, oh, you're so wonderful, but, you know, 
we're never going to change it here. It's always going to be Tony Abbott. It's never going to change here. Everyone's too conservative. Exactly what you said about McKellar mm. before. Like people just think we're too conservative. But if you start asking the right questions, people start asking themselves the right questions and making different decisions. So once they had seen Karen win and Zali win, of course, many, many other people who had been working like Sophie in grassroots organisations. She founded Our Blue Dot, which was a local organisation based on reducing carbon emissions in the local community. So people like that met up with people from Warringah that were doing similar things and then those people had been involved in Zali's campaign and they got talking and, you know, one thing leads to another and before you knew it, Voices of McKellar was was created. I'm sure we'll explore this a bit more in a moment, Louise, but I just want to come to today. I've just been watching the Sky News debate, so-called debate between Allegra Spender and the incumbent from the Liberal Party, Dave Sharma, in Wentworth. Very interesting. I don't know if you managed to catch it. There were two questions I want to run past you. One you'll know well, the other one not as much. A woman stood up and semi-aggressively said to Allegra Spender, why are you splitting the moderate vote in Wentworth? Have you received that sort of question? What would be Sophie Scomp's response to a question like that? Why are you splitting the moderate vote in this seat? I don't think we have had that question yet, actually. And my experience from talking to people is people who have voted Liberal in the past, even the last election, are extremely grateful that Sophie has stood up and given them an alternative because they are so dissatisfied with the Liberal Party. I had one person say to us, and this was someone who has been a member of the Liberal Party all his life, he said, they just need to go away and sort themselves out. And once they've done that, I will consider voting for them again. And he was very excited to be voting for Sophie. So we actually haven't had that. We haven't had that feedback. The other question you've heard a zillion times now, and Dave Sharma hammered this very hard today, as Barnaby Joyce has on Q&A and elsewhere, this idea that Sophie Scomps, Zoe Daniel, Allegra Spender, all of them, all the Voices for Independence should declare today exactly whom they're going to support come the possibility which we see of a hung parliament Mm. after the election. So you've heard this question, Sophie's heard this question a million times, Allegra had to handle it again. What makes Dave Sharma and the coalition keep hammering away at this? What makes them do it in your opinion? And what is your response to that question that you're getting over and over again? Whom are you going to support in a hung parliament situation? Yeah, well, I think the reason they're doing it is because it's a narrative that they've created and it's, you know, having some success for them. So they have tried a number of different narratives. They've obviously done some sort of focus groups or something and they find this one works. It's a valid question, I suppose, but I think what people don't understand, including many, many in the media, is that it's not up to individual seats to enable either Liberal or Labor to form government. It's actually up to those two parties, one of those two parties, to prove that they have the confidence of the House. It's a good narrative that they're using. It's, it's work, I do think it's working quite well for them, but there's absolutely no way Sophie, for example, could say who she would support in the event of a hung parliament before she knows how well either of those two parties will represent the issues that she is standing on. And those issues have come through the community, through the kitchen table conversations, through 500 different conversations and untold volunteer hours, volunteer hours mainly by women who have taken the trouble to find out 
how the people here want to be represented. She would be selling us short if she said now that she was going to go one way or the other because they might be saying they're not going to come to the party. I can guarantee when they want to hold power, you never know what miracles will come up with. They might say, we'll pass Zali Stegall's climate bill. They might say, we'll, we'll do an integrity commission. Who knows what they're going to say? But there's absolutely no way they are not going to come to the party and offer. Mm. Can I just say quickly, it's not about doing deals. So Sophie is, and I'm sure all the other independents, are very focused on the issues and getting those represented in parliament. So it's not like it's like, oh, if you build a new bridge for us, we'll support you. It's not going to be a deal like that. There is absolutely no way because integrity is one of the things that they're standing on. So it's very firmly about the issues and it's not up to us to prove the confidence of the house thing. That's up to them. If they want to hold government, that's up to them to prove it. You're listening to another Transit Zone podcast. I'm Peter Clark with Margot Kingston. Our guest is Louise Hislop, advisor to the Voices for Independence campaign for the seat of McKellar in Sydney, held by Liberal Jason Falinski. Louise, after you were a staffer for Pizzali for a while, you moved to McKellar. And it yep. just so happens that a friend of yours from primary school had founded Voices for McKellar and is now the volunteer coordinator for Sophie's campaign. That's I don't know right. what I'd call you, a campaign guru by by experience, <laughs> I guess. Could you take us through what happens when a, a neophyte candidate like Sophie, a, a local GP who had no intention of standing, she wanted to find someone to stand until people said it's got to be you, and a group of volunteers, most of whom have never had experience in political campaigning. How you've set that up, how you've made that happen? Mm. Okay, well, I think it's probably not fair to say I've made it happen. I've been very much a bit player in the early stages. So, yeah, you bring my friend Leonie into it. So we met when we were in kindergarten age five at St. Joseph's at Narrabeen, which is the next suburb along from where I live. Uh, we've been very firm friends ever since and we used to have dinner over the years. I was working on all this stuff and we'd be talking about it. And she tells the story that she actually went up to visit me. I was at my mum's place just up the hill here at Colorado Plateau and on her way home, it was during the Black Summer bushfires and she was, she just, you know, was surrounded by the smoke. Yep. And she just had this epiphany and thought, you know what, I have to do something. I cannot do nothing and I need to follow what, what Louise did in Warringah. So at the same time, Sophie and her friend Anyo were meeting these other people I, I referred to earlier that were working in community movements, Zero Emission Sydney North, and and met them through that and they'd actually been involved in Zali's campaign. So they said, oh, we need you, like, you know, you need to do this, blah, blah, blah. We got word that they were doing something, so we put them in touch with Leonie and that's how that started. And Leonie was already on board with another woman, Rebecca, so the four of them got another couple of women in and they started Voices of McKellar like that. But when you say how do you start this candidate campaign with all the volunteers, it actually started Voices of McKellar were very nonpartisan, so they never even used the word independent mm -hmm. because they, in their mind, even though Jason will say 
very differently. In their mind, they always thought Jason might come to the party and actually cross the floor on issues. Ah. Um, They had a very open mind about that. And they did actually go to visit him and tell him what they were doing and invite him to their events. And he refused to turn up and then actually called them names in the local papers. And Anyo and Sophie left because they could see the need for the independent through the conversations. There'd been a lot of people saying we need an independent to represent us because we are right next door to Zali. They did that. So through that movement, they got a lot of volunteers. They did a lot of fundraising. The whole community movement started with that. And then for about six months, I came on board with them, with McKellar Independent, to start planning this campaign. It was a lot of work getting to the launch day. Louise, I'm fascinated by the detailed preparation of a candidate. We're talking to you as a team member. You've got a lot of volunteers. It is a team. But at the end of the day, it's the candidate, isn't it, who's in the crucible copying it all. And I'm intrigued. I think of someone like Sophie Scomps as more like a, a nudibranch than a hermit crab. She hasn't got a shell on her back. She entered this political maelstrom with very little personal protection and not all that scar tissue that the pollies build up over years and also the techniques they use to avoid, evade and protect themselves. So... I'm observing that the Indies act in quite a different way. Watching Allegra Spender today field the questions from the floor and from the moderator, she did a terrific job, actually, but it was different from the politicians I've observed in the past. How do you, in detail and effectively, prepare someone like Sophie Scomps for what she is facing today as the election campaign is well underway. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's been a really big challenge for Sophie because she says that, you know, all my life I've been a GP, so I'm used to being in a very small room speaking to one or two people and suddenly I'm the person everyone's looking at and I'm speaking in front of 250 people. Or on launch day it was 400 more people. So it has been a really big learning curve for her. She has had some media training. She's had some people from the community give her free training. She's had a couple of paid sessions with Tracy Spicer. And I think it's all the practice she's had at community fundraisers that she's been to and she gives a little speech. She's a very high achiever, Sophie. Mm. So she's actually been a you know national sporting champion, qualified for the Olympics and a GP, but not just a GP. She studied at Oxford. She's done a master's in public health. One of those really high achievers. She works very, very hard and she has set herself this goal and she has spent a lot of time practicing, learning. I mean, we've put a lot of work into policy, having to get across all of that. But also she has a really great team around her. This is the thing when you start something from the community. You can trust the people that have been through this journey with you. You can trust the people that turned around to her and said, actually, Sophie, will you be the one? You're actually our perfect candidate. There's a lot of really great skills amongst us. Um, People have given up their jobs to come and work on the campaign. I think it is that whole thing of she's not doing politics, she's... She's working towards something greater than herself and it gives her the it gives her the energy and the and the power to do this. Even though it's way outside her comfort zone, but she's just doing so well at it. She's very centered. She knows what she's doing. She's done this from the ground up and she knows exactly what she's standing for. As I observe a political party politician, they're always probably got the media maven breathing down their neck and they've had their writing instructions, they've got to fit into a party template, if you like, not blow it for the party, 
But an independent candidate in an interview with someone on the 7.30 report or the local newspaper, they're in a very different position, aren't they? And they can go about that media contact type of electoral politics in a very different way. Am I right about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sophie isn't constrained by anything she can say and everything we're doing is very open. So it's not like she has to be very guarded about anything because we don't have any secrets. We're completely open with with how our campaign's running. I mean, we know we've probably got people spying in amongst our volunteer base coming to volunteer meetings and things like that. But it's not like we talk about anything that we don't want anyone to know. Mm. So it's fine. They They can go straight back and tell what we've said and it's fine. One of the things that I've been really interested in in the the Voices for model is this idea of radical trust. So that rather than with the big parties where the party tells the people what to do, you do that, you do that, it's more spread and you ask the, the volunteers what they'd like to do. Could you take me through one of your volunteer training sessions, how you sort of bring people together and garner their skills? What we do is we build community. So we we separate people into the different areas of the electorate and introduce them to people, their neighbours that they probably haven't met before. Mm. Leaders rise up from those groups and then those leaders, I mean, we give guidance, give all the ideas, but we give them the, as you say, radical trust. It's like if they come up with an idea, unless it's a really silly idea, we say, yeah, that sounds fantastic, go for it. And it's been so incredibly vibrant and actually quite different to Zali. So with McKellar, we've had, for example, one of my favourite groups that have sprung up is the Bunting Group. They're a group of <laughs> they're a group of women who have got together to sew, you know, the little triangle pendant things on it, the bunting, with reclaimed materials in the blue and yellow. And they've sent out requests for the community, any unwanted material you want, please send it this way. And they've made all this beautiful bunting. And whenever we have a an event, we decorate the hall with with our bunting. And it's beautiful. I mean, that one just really makes, it actually gives me tingles. But also we've had, in Moringa, door knocking wasn't a really, a really huge part of our campaign. But in, and we'd sort of made the decision in McKellar that it didn't, you know, it didn't have to be such a big, big part, but the people wanted to do it. So they actually started a door knocking group. Yeah. (laughs) They're so incredibly keen. I can't believe it. I hate door knocking, but we've done I've done it with Sophie, but um it's not something that comes naturally to me. But we have had hundred and forty people door knock six thousand doors. And this wasn't our direction. This is something that sprung up and they wanted to do it. And one of the person had had experience, so he or she set up, you know, a training group and then they would have different training sessions as more people came along. And then the other Saturday, we had a Super Saturday door knocking session and we had 100 people out door knocking a whole suburb. Uh, Then we went back to the pub here at Collaroy and we had the most beautiful celebration. It's just not what people imagine politics is going to be like. To have such a a broad sweep of your electorate, like I understand you've got 900 volunteers and, and growing, then all these big attacks that come, that she's a Labor front, even though she voted Liberal, that it's a get-up um, uh, Climate 200 party, that she's really Labor, that all this stuff, it can actually be chatted through and worked through on the ground. I mean, it, it's almost as though if you get a big enough community together, 
they're almost impervious to the standard attacks designed to scare people. Absolutely, and that's that's the whole beauty of this movement. And we found the same thing in Warringah. If you've got 900 people, you can guarantee almost everyone in the electorate knows one of them. <laughs> so when they say, when they call us fake independents, it's like, but that's my neighbour. Like, she's never been involved in politics before and suddenly she's really passionate about this Dr Sophie Scomps. I don't necessarily believe what I'm hearing. We had exactly the same thing in Warringah when um, there was they, there was all this scare about she's a get-up candidate and all that sort of thing. They spent so much money on all the rubbish you get in your letterbox and the billboards on trucks that were driving around and it made absolutely no difference because everyone knew someone that was involved in the campaign. Louise, we've been watching the various incumbents here in Victoria. We've got Tim Wilson that's in Goldstein with Zoe Daniel and we've seen some of the tactics he's used. We've seen Dave Sharma distance himself from the Liberal Party brand, use teal on some of his flyers, etc. I want to talk about Jason Felinski, the incumbent opponent in McKellar. How has he handled all this? Toggle us through some of his responses, tactics, and how do you perceive Jason Felinski as handling this really serious challenge to his incumbency? Well, I think he's in a bit of a panic, to be honest. But the other thing I should say is we spend very little time thinking about him because this really isn't about him. This is about our community and how we want to be represented. So the little bits and pieces I've seen and heard of him, he's just using that narrative of fake independence and what else has he been saying lately? Oh, centrally funded. All the independence is centrally funded, which quite frankly is so insulting to all of us who have worked so hard to raise so much money within the community. And yes, Climate 200 is is matching donations, but we just laugh, actually. I mean, we're not concerned at all, but we do sometimes we do sometimes just have a little little bit of a, a giggle and, and, and say we think he's panicking a little bit. The one that gives me a bit of a giggle is the idea that all the independents really are a party, a secret party. Isn't it funny they're all saying the same things? What a coincidence they're opposing the LNP. That's sort of slightly weird thinking, really, when you parse it, but that's part of it too, isn't it? That you're actually all part of the same cabal and all talking yeah. to each other and really pretending to be independents, but really a party. It's not surprising that we're mainly in LNP seats because the LNP has been in government for almost a decade and they haven't acted on two of the main issues that most people in Australia want action on, which is climate change and integrity. So to me, that's no surprise. It doesn't even rate. The thing about being a party is like I would have thought the first thing about a party was you have a constitution. It's like these movements all grew up completely separately. There's no agreement between any of us what we all stand for. It just happens to be that most people in our communities want the same thing that most Australians want, which is action on climate change and a government that we can trust and a parliamentary process that we can trust. One of the things I've found fascinating watching this is that there's so much policy discussion in the community. There's forums all over the place on the big issues where you invite local experts and, and civil society groups like um, the Open Democracy Network and the Centre for Public Integrity. You've come up with three policies so far, I think, from scratch on, on health and an incredible suite of um, integrity reforms. Climate, of course. Climate, yeah. To me, this is, is incredibly radical. 
is a, a genuine participatory democracy thing where people are excited to be involved. And what I've seen in response from the Liberals, particularly Sharma and Jason, is they start calling themselves local candidates. Jason put out a, a long video about who he really is in, and he really belongs to the community. He's changed his Twitter handle to Jason of the Northern Beaches. It it seems to me that you really have tapped into something quite frightening for the big parties. What's your sort of take on, on how revolutionary this could be if one or two or three independents get up? Wanting to appear to be part of the community that's absolutely true I think that's I mean it's that's absolutely what's what's happening Jason's very much I mean I've got a little pamphlet here that I found on the floor of my block of units today and there is a tiny little Liberal Party logo logo but unlike the rest of the brochure it's in light gray and white yes <laughs> so it's certainly not certainly not being um advertised very strongly that he's actually part of a major party I mean firstly if a number of the independents do get in especially if they hold the balance of power. There's a really, really great opportunity to get fantastic legislation through the Australian Parliament and actually heal Australia from all the all the hurt. I mean, I'm really hurt by the last, you know, particularly 10 years, but even longer. The terrible politicisation of government, the way the short-termism, the lack of long-term planning, we can actually fix those things with two or three pieces of really great legislation I think we're on the cusp of a new era of Australian politics. There's nothing in the Constitution about the two major parties and one of them holding power. And as we know, the parties have changed over the years. It hasn't always been Labor and Liberal. There's been other parties that have been the major parties. It is always an evolving situation. And I think things have got to the point where they're so bad. We're now looking at what might become a different way of doing politics. And I can only hope that's true because the behaviour that we're that we're witnessing in Parliament and in Parliament House is totally unacceptable for most Australians. I've always seen McKellar as a, as a hard ask and Sophie as a dark horse, but she's got a very, very big mountain to climb. You were in the middle of the vibe in Moringa. You're now in the middle of the vibe in McKellar. What's your mm. honest take about the possibilities for Sophie at the election? Okay, so my honest take is that there have been years of work that have gone into this and we have put in four and a half months since we launched and grown this volunteer base to over 900 people. And I am beginning to feel very similar vibes to what we had in Warringah. I can't tell you how excited I am. I think we've been underestimated all the way. Because we've always been very confident we could make a real competition of this. I don't think it's definite that we will win, but I think we're in with a very, very good chance of winning. We're all going to have to work really hard. Um, I'm going to a meeting tonight with 40 people from my local surrounding suburbs just to plan the next two and a half weeks. That's how keen everyone is. They just go out on a on a weeknight and, and meet and, and talk about it. Another little thing that's changed in the last couple of weeks, well, there's probably a couple, Two separate people have mentioned to me that people are starting, people they've spoken to are starting to get FOMO. So it gets to that point in the campaign where people can see that this is a winning movement and if they don't jump on, they're going to miss out. It was exactly the case in Moringa as well, but 
I hadn't mentioned that to these people and they happened to to just mention that. And when they said it, I thought, great, we're getting there. And the other thing is the media. Tomorrow morning, 7.30 are coming down to DY to do a story. The media requests are just starting to really escalate and that's um, the point. I mean, I, I know for Zali it was different because she was obviously a national story from the day she launched, so we've really had to work hard to get to that point. Well, since the election's been called, I can really feel that the momentum is changing there as well. So absolutely everything we have worked for is completely in place at the moment. Is there a sort of a vibe on the street that you've picked up? Yeah, absolutely. So I go walking in my T-shirt a lot and, uh, you know, quite often someone will just give you this big smile and go, go Soph. <laughs> it's it's a really lovely vibe. Yesterday, Sophie and me and Leonie actually were at DY bus stop and, you know, people getting off the bus and they're tired and We'd say to them, you know, are you voting in the next election or whatever? And then they just look up and see Sophie and they go, oh, Sophie. Like it's kind of like she's she's a bit of a celebrity now and people are just so happy to to meet her in person. And um, so these are people that, you know, wouldn't normally even know there was an election coming up. People are very much aware that A, there's an election and B, there's someone that has a good chance of winning. Louise, I want to drill down into just one of the policy areas, climate change being the the big leading one for the independence movement. Now, of course, we talk about targets, and it's interesting just in passing that the independence, if it does come to negotiating with, say, the Labor Party with a hung parliament, they're to the left of the Labor Party in many ways. If we're talking about a 60% emissions cut compared to Labor's 43, that will be interesting if it occurs. But going beyond setting targets and an independent body, etc., what about things like the Angus Taylor carbon credit system, dirty hydrogen as opposed to renewables generated clean hydrogen, the technology, which is the much vaunted technology from the coalition with the carbon capture scheme, those nitty gritty aspects of climate change. Once you get past those big policy broad brush areas, how are they going to play out, do you believe? Within Zali's climate bill, you basically take the decision making away from the politics. And so it's actually about having a climate commission that has experts that actually know know their work and come to conclusions based on evidence and they will advise the government. When you talk about different methods of technology, you know, how to reduce our emissions, um, it's, it's any sort of incentives are based on what the experts have said is the best way to go. And then you let the market take over. So it's not about people like Sophie needing to be an expert on carbon capture and storage, for example. Um, it's actually about letting letting the climate bills do their work with an independent body and, and the government actually taking notice of what they are advised and they have to come back. They will have their targets and they have to come back and report how they've gone. So it's not like they've got some flimsy you know, finally said something about 2050, but there's no, there's nothing in legislation saying that they're going to get there. Um, this will change the whole ball game. With integrity, Sophie has got a very detailed policy platform, a suite of policies from backing Helen Haynes' Federal Integrity Commission, backing Zali's Truth in Advertising Commission to stop the big parties just telling lies and Clyde throughout the election donation reform or real-time disclosure, 
raising parliamentary standards, insisting on ethics, even open diaries and, and bans on politicians moving straight into lobbying. I know Zoe's got a similar thing, Kate Cheney. What would be, do you think, a baseline condition for Sophie to give confidence and supply to one party or the other when it comes to restoring faith in our democracy? Look, I don't think she's thought about that, but I would be surprised if it wasn't the whole the whole package. I mean, you can't have some without the other. Yeah. Why shouldn't we have everything in place to, so that we know that we can trust the government to act in the interests of the people they are paid to govern? I mean, <laughs> I, I think that's the whole point of what we're doing. So that's a whole suite of things and and they they complement each other very well and i think it's i think the baseline is do we have a government that we can trust do we have a government process and the surrounding institutions that we can trust and if we don't we need to start again my final question louise we've talked about zali's climate change bill etc but on the battleground, the electoral battleground, we're in the middle of the campaign now, what sort of synergies are we seeing between Warringah and McKellar, between Zali Stegall and Sophie Scomps? I've seen pictures on the socials of the two of them together on a beautiful beach in the teal T-shirts, etc. There does seem to be some linking of arms there. Is that actually going on and how do you see that working well? Yeah, I think so. It's not like we're in constant contact or anything, but there's definitely a lot of camaraderie and we haven't spent a lot of time with the Warringah crew, but we, you know, there, there's the odd message that passes through. But yeah, it's camaraderie and support of each other, really. Zali very much wants more independence in, in Parliament. It's the only way we're going to, that I see that we're going to get really strong legislation through. So it's a good feeling. And I think everyone in McKellar has been looking over the fence at Warringah for a long time, just just thinking we'd love to have what they've got. They, they've all seen the proof in the pudding of what an independent can do. People said to Sophie in the early days before they got going, like, we want our own Zali. Has your team wargamed how dirty it could get over the next three to four weeks? We're seeing Scott Morrison himself quite discombobulated by the independents. Don't touch these independents using stability or the obvious arguments. Have you and your team wargamed what could really get dirty, could really get threatening to Sophie Scomps? And what are your responses? Uh, yeah, well, having been through Warringah, like, we know exactly what how dirty it can get. I think McKellar has gone a little bit under the radar, so we don't know exactly how many resources they're going to throw in here. As far as the barb throwing, as long as Sophie stays herself and her centred person talking about the things she's been talking about the whole time, she won't be ta- she won't be taken off guard. She won't be. She basically won't take too much notice. We, we honestly don't take too much notice of what they're doing. We're just playing our own game. It, that's as simple as it is. I mean, yes, we know things are coming, but we also know that with this sort of community movement, it probably won't be enough to cut through. All this stuff about stability and chaos. We have a situation where if given their own vote, the majority of our parliament would vote for serious climate change action and for a strong Federal Integrity Commission. It's the instability and chaos in that coalition and that, you know, that secret deal with the Nats that always happens after the election that is driving people crazy, that a small fossil fuel captured group that's very corrupt is actually running the show. I just love what Karen said during the by-election, the power of balance. Let's bring it back Mm. to the centre. Let's find the common ground. 
I just find it extraordinary that this mob talk about chaos. I mean, you look at the summer we've just had. I mean, what is chaos? Chaos is sitting on top of your roof all night in a flood, not hearing whether or not help is even going to come. And then when it does come, they choose which electorate they're going to support. I mean, this is chaos. Our democracy is at huge risk at the moment. We're in chaos now and we need to fix it. And the way, exactly what Karen said, the way we're going to fix it is with the power of balance. Louise, thank you so much for being with us in the Transit Zone. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. It's been lovely chatting. Our guest this time in the zone, from her home in the McKellar electorate in Sydney, Louise Hislop, an advisor to the Voices for Independent Sophie Scombs campaign to wrest that seat from the Liberal incumbent, Jason Felinski. I've put some links within the on-screen text for this podcast, including those articles by Louise for the No Fibs website that Margot mentioned. If you'd like to email us at the Transit Zone, here is our email address, transitzonepod at gmail.com. We welcome your comments, your questions, your ideas for new podcast episodes. Transitzonepod at gmail.com. I'm Peter Clark in Melbourne, Australia. Thanks for listening. And please join us again soon right here in the Transit Zone. You are now leaving the Transit Zone.